you haven't already, I would encourage you to take your Bibles and turn them um, to the book of John in chapter 1. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through um, the Gospel of John. Our, our series is entitled, Seeing Jesus. And um, there are three really simple ways that you can participate with us in this series. One is be here on Sunday mornings as we study John together. Thank you for being here. I would invite you back next week. Two, take up the Bible and read. Every Thursday on our website, we publish, um, it's called the, the Fellowship, or the Weekly Bible Passage, because we do creative things here at Redeemer. The Weekly Bible Passage is the Bible passage for that week. And we publish it every Thursday. And so I'd encourage you on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning before you come to, to take up that passage and read it and pray over it and ask the Lord to speak to you from the passage as we come in. Third, we have through, spread all throughout um, Sumner County and on Sunday evenings and on Wednesday evenings and other nights of the week, we have community groups where we gather, we talk about this passage, we pray, we engage. Um, that's three simple ways for you to dive in to this passage. I think there's also a ladies' Bible study at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings that's studying along the Gospel of John with us as well. So guys, sorry you can't come. Ladies, there's a fourth way. So I guess we have three and a half easy ways for you to engage with us here in the Gospel of John. We're taking bigger chunks here because there's so much truth. I really believe we could spend like four years in these 21 chapters, but I'm going to do my best not to. And so today we're going to look at the second half of chapter one. Our sermon is entitled, The Jesus We Follow. The Jesus We Follow. And here is the point. Because of who Jesus is, an appropriate response is called for. Because of who Jesus is, an appropriate response is called for. So right here in the beginning of John's gospel, he's going to drive home for us who is Jesus? What is his identity? And then he's going to tell us how to respond to that truth. Who is Jesus? And how do we respond? And so John is going, John the writer of this gospel, not to be confused with John the Baptist, the main character of this chapter. So we're going to get all our Johns muddled up, so just work with me, okay? There are two Johns. The John who was a disciple of Jesus and wrote the book in front of us, as well as 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And then there's John, who's known as John the Baptist, who was kind of a, a wild man in the desert, out there baptizing and wearing camel's hair and um, eating locusts and honey, who is the main character of this passage, okay? So two Johns, I'll probably get tongue-tied, but we all together, two Johns. And what we see in this story about John, is John making it very clear that we know who Jesus is. And John, I would say both Johns, making it very clear that we know how to respond to Jesus. So the two Johns are working in tandem here to make it clear that we know who Jesus is and to tell us how to respond to Jesus. So for my note-taking friends, here's your point. Jesus is the Savior. We respond to the Savior through faith and discipleship. We respond to the Savior through faith and discipleship. So let's see if we can work those things through together. So first point, the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What we have in this passage 
beginning in verse 19, is it begins this way. This is the testimony of John. That is John the Baptist, the crazy man in the desert who was sent to be a prophetic-like figure to point to Jesus. This John, this is his testimony for us. Now, John was mentioned in last week's passage, chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then chapter 1, verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So so you have this figure, John, testifying about Jesus. And John is out in the wilderness, and you you can gather a lot of the story of John by looking back at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John's out in the wilderness, he's baptizing people, and he's calling on people to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. To repent because God's Savior, God's King, is here. So John's out doing this, and what happens in chapter 1, verse 19, is the religious leaders in Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish leaders, they send some people to John to ask him some questions. And the real issue at work in this interplay is, John, why are you doing what you're doing? And John, why do you think you have the right to do what you're doing? I mean, this is kind of a who-do-you-think-you-are kind of interrogation, okay? Now, imagine for a second, we're going to step away from the Scripture, but imagine for a second if you came to me and you said, hey, Jamie, you seemed pretty confident today. And I said, yeah, I know, I'm not God. Like, you would be like, oh, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I know, I, I'm, not, I'm not infallible, I'm not perfect. You're like, I didn't say you were. What's the issue, right? And so that's kind of what goes on with this John the Baptist story, is, is they come to him to say, hey, who do you think you are and what are you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? And he ups the ante on them. He goes, hey, I just want you to know I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. Okay, good, we didn't think so. So, so what do you think? So, so what's interesting here is John knows that John's role in life was John was sent by God to make sure that the world was ready to see and receive the Messiah. John knew that John's role in life was to live in such a way to prepare God's people to receive their Savior, their King, their Redeemer, and their Lord. John knew that. And so John was only going to do that which would obey the Father and fulfill his purpose in life, which was to exalt Jesus the Savior, point people to Jesus, and help people see that the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Lord was here. And John takes it there because they come to him and they say, John, who are you? And the passage tells us that definitively and almost defiantly he says, I'm not the Christ. And now Christ is a Greek word for the Hebrew and Aramaic word that we know as Messiah. And those words, Christ and Messiah, they are um, parallel words, they're synonyms, and they mean the anointed son of David who was bringing God's kingdom to God's world. So, so John says, hey look, 
I'm not the Christ. Okay, good. What then? Are you Elijah? Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who did mighty works in the name of the Lord to defeat the false prophets of other religions. And Elijah did not die. He was actually taken up to be with God in a whirlwind. And Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 call for Elijah to return before to the people of the Lord before that final day of the Lord. That final day where God rectifies everything. And so they're like, all right, so you're not the Messiah. Then are you Elijah? Are you the one who was to come before the day of the Lord? I'm not. Hmm, okay. Are you the prophet? So ever since the end of the life of Moses, as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, the, the Jewish people had been awaiting another prophet like Moses who would point them toward God's salvation and would deliver the people and speak God's word to them. No, I'm not the prophet either. Whoa, okay, so you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. That's right. Okay, so imagine you've been sent from Jerusalem out to the wilderness to find out who John the Baptist is, and so you're going to go back to your, your people, and you're going to say, well, here's what I have to tell you. He's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, and he's not the prophet. What are your supervisors going to say to you? Thanks, I knew that already. Who is he? So they say, chapter 24, then... I'm sorry, not 24, but 22. Hey, like, we got to give an answer, man. Help us out. What do you say? And John the Baptist takes up for himself an important Old Testament promised essential place in God's saving work. He goes back to Isaiah 40 and he claims to be the voice of crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The passage was read for us earlier. I don't know who read it because I was up there changing clothes, but I heard it be read, okay? Um, prepare the way of the Lord. So what's going on in Isaiah chapter 40? That's Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse 3. Is God's people are in exile, and they're going to be brought back. And so God says he's going to send a messenger who's going to say, prepare the road for the people to meet their God. So Isaiah says, look, I'm not Isaiah. John says, I am the one God has sent to call out to the people to be prepared to meet their King, their Messiah, their Savior, and their Lord. Okay then, John, then tell us this. Why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, if you see yourself as this figure from Isaiah chapter 40, why are you baptizing? And he answers them in a way that I think catches them off guard. He says, look, I baptize with water, but among you, this is verse 26, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy 
to untie. So John says, look, I baptize because there's one so much greater than me that I want you to know him. Now, this whole thing about sandals to untie is an idiom that I want you to grasp onto. I want you to hear this very clearly because it's going to come back in application in a few minutes. In this Greco-Roman type world, there were lots of people, rabbis, teachers, who walked around and they had followers, okay? The followers walked with them, they listened to their teaching, they adopted their way of life, and the followers served their master on any level except for one thing. They would serve them all the way down to it was not required of a disciple, of a follower, to untie the sandals or wash the feet of his master. Okay, so you got that? There was this, there was this worldly idea of follower, of, of rabbi and follower. And the, and the followers served the rabbi in any way that the rabbi needed, but a rabbi could not ask his followers to wash his feet or to untie his sandals because that was beneath even a follower. Okay, everybody with me? So what does John say? There is one coming who is so great that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. What John is saying is, I'm pointing to a Jesus who is so great, so worthy of worship, so worthy of honor, so worthy of praise, so worthy of devotion, so worthy of your faith, that I'm not even worthy to do the most menial, socially unacceptable task to him. He's greater than that. Do you see what's going on there? That's how great this Jesus is that God has called me to point to. So they left. And I'm sure they had a fun conversation when they got home. So John has made it clear who he's not. He's not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. John has made it clear that he's the messenger to point toward God's Savior, and then in the, in the coming verses, he makes some really important claims about Jesus. Verse 29, we're told, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I told you I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. So John's going to claim that Jesus is so great that even John is not worthy to untie his sandals. He's not worthy to serve him in this lowly manner. Now John says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if you want to go geek out over original languages, you can spend three weeks studying that one phrase and nobody agrees what it means. But let's just be intelligent Jesus represents a lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I think what John meant is Jesus represents the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Now we can argue about which Old Testament passages best refers to that, but if you want to build your faith off something, build it off this. Jesus is the one Lamb of God whom God sent to take away the sins of the world. John's saying, if you want your sins taken away, 
You better follow Jesus. John's saying if you want to know forgiveness, you better follow Jesus. If you want to know God's salvation, you better know Jesus. If you want to be part of God's people, you better know Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, John, how do you know that? That was an implied question. That's just me asking him that. John said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that's the Father, to baptize with water said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John says, I was told by God that the Spirit of God would descend upon the chosen one and I would know who he was. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us explicitly that Jesus actually came out to the wilderness to be baptized by John. And when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, the heavens opened, and the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so John is recounting this to his followers. He says, I I saw the Spirit descend upon him. This is the Son of God. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one upon upon whom the Spirit of God descended to validate his identity and his presence. And Jesus is the Son of God, the one who brings God's promises together. The testimony doesn't stop, though, because now some people are going to start following Jesus and listen to what they proclaim. So, so, so John points at Jesus twice and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so two of John's followers leave John and they go follow Jesus. And Jesus, in verse 38, turns around and he says, Hey, what are you, what are you after? What are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, which means teacher. And so we hear rabbi, we think teacher, we think, oh, like a preacher or like a Sunday school teacher. That's not exactly it. Rabbi is a phrase that encapsulates my great one, the one superior to me, the one whom I'll follow, the one whom I'll serve, the one in many ways whom I will indenture myself to. You're our rabbi. And then one of those two was a guy named Andrew. And so Andrew is going to go to his brother Peter, and he's going to say, We have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. So was John the Christ? No, but Jesus is the Christ. And then later, they find Philip, and Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And in verse 44, Philip is going to go and say, We have found the one whom Moses talked about and who the prophets talked about. So what they're saying is, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the answer to all of God's promises. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the king. He's the one who brings the blessings. He's the one who builds the kingdom. He's the one who saves. He's the one who redeems. He's the one who restores. He's how we know God. He's how we walk in God's blessings. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And then Nathaniel is going to profess that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. So what all these verses mound up to tell us is this book, the book of John, is about Jesus, who last week John told us is God, is a man, and saves. But now 
This Jesus, we are told, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one who is worthy of all worship, all praise, all service. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Spirit of God dwelt upon him to empower his ministry in this world, and he is the Son of God. Therefore, Jesus is the Savior, the one that the Jewish people have been looking for, and he is the one that all of God's creatures have yearned to know and to meet because God's blessing, God's hope, God's redemption, God's forgiveness, and God's salvation flows through Jesus and him alone. That is the testimony of John and the other John in the book of John about John. Everybody with me on the Johns? The two Johns together. So then, what do we do with this testimony about Jesus? What do we do with this testimony about Jesus? And that leads to our second point, the response to Jesus. To make it as simple as we can, Jesus is actually going to tell us how to respond to this. In verse 43, we're told the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So the short biblical answer to this question of how do we respond to Jesus is we follow Jesus. But I think it's important that we learn from this passage what that means. These verses, the last half of John chapter 1, if, if you were to map it out really carefully, they encapsulate one week, seven days. And in those seven days, you have John the Baptist testifying to leaders from Jerusalem that he's not the Christ, but Jesus is. You have John twice pointing out that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And some of John's disciples leave John and go and follow Jesus. And John is okay with that because he knows who he is and he knows who Jesus is. Then you have one of those disciples named Andrew go and tell his brother Simon Peter who becomes a follower of Jesus. And then Jesus calls Philip and he calls Nathaniel to follow after him. And this is in one busy week of ministry and work. The response to Jesus is laid out for us, and I think we can see it in this passage. Number one, we learn from John to know who we are and what we need. We learn from John the Baptist to know who we are and what we need. Jesus actually said about John the Baptist later, that there was no man born of woman who was greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist knew that he was not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus and that he was not the Christ, that he was not the prophet, that he was not Elijah, and he needed the saving power of the Savior whose name is Jesus. So the beginning of following Jesus is to know who we are and to know what we need. To put that in biblical language, the Bible says we are all broken, sinful people who, if we stood before God on our own merit, would merit nothing but judgment, wrath, and condemnation. And yet, 
The scriptures also tell us that God sent his only son into the world, Jesus the Messiah, who gave his life and his life on a cross to pay the penalty for sin so that all who would be covered in his blood, all who would believe in his name, would be forgiven and would be given the right to be called the children of God. Following Jesus begins with recognizing who we are sinners and what we need, a Savior. His name is Jesus. Second, following after Jesus calls us to actually become followers of Jesus. I know that, that's redundant, but I want to unpack that. I say follow after Jesus. You hear churchy word that means I'm supposed to kind of like Jesus and kind of be on his team and maybe put a fish sticker on the back of my car and maybe put a Bible verse on my Facebook page. And that's not what that means. Follow in this context means give up everything to identify yourself with Jesus and make him your rabbi, your teacher, your greater one that you exist to hear from, believe in, serve, and care for. The call to faith is a call to follow Christ. If a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth is nothing but an untruth, then we as the church have believed a lie that all Christianity is about is a get-out-of-hell-free card. The faith of Jesus is to know the Savior, and He will give you everlasting life beginning today. He is with his children today. He is your savior today. He's your Messiah today. He's your Lord today. He cares for you today. He speaks his word to you today. He will minister to you today. He will lead you on paths of righteousness for his name's sake today. He will keep you out of temptation today. There is breakthrough and salvation and power in Christ now. And that's the gospel. We still don't have to earn anything. We still don't have to prove ourselves. We still don't have to pull up ourselves by our own bootstrap. Jesus paid it all. But he paid it for us to follow him today. So have you ever been told to read the Bible, to pray, to repent of your sin, to, to serve Jesus, to tell others about Jesus? Take all those things and your normal eh response and put it under this thing. I'm called to follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, any day, all the time, because he saved me, he died for me, and he's the Lord. Third, let's learn humility from John. Let's learn humility from John. If Jesus is right that there's no greater man born among from a woman, from a womb, than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist testified multiple times that he's not worthy to do the least, most menial, most unbecoming thing to serve Jesus. Then what does that say about us? Our place in God's kingdom is humble servant. Not outcast, not condemned, not judged, not forgotten about, but humble servant who's been welcomed in. 
And so I want to speak to your mentality. I want to speak to your motives. I want to speak to your emotions. I want to speak to that which governs you today. And I want to say we've been called to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord like John the Baptist did. Fourth, to follow Jesus is to adore him and to worship him. To adore him and to worship him. Notice their responses through this. John the Baptist, at cost to himself, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These, these men saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. We know who you are and we adore you and we worship you. Oh, on four or five. Four or five, four or five. Four? Four? Okay, four. Notice that those who follow Jesus proclaim the truth of Jesus to others. You go like, oh, preacher, you just, you just got to read evangelism into this. No, I don't. Look at it. John knows. And, and day one, Jesus walks by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Day two, Jesus walks by. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two of, his, two of John's disciples leave him and go follow Jesus. One of them was named Andrew. The other one is not named. Andrew, what does he do? He runs to his brother, Simon Peter, and he says, we have found the Messiah. Philip runs into Bethsaida and he says, finds Nathanael and he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Those who follow Jesus proclaim the truth of who Jesus is to others. If you know the, the reality of the greatest truth the world has ever known, it's as if the, the first followers of Jesus just can't keep it to themselves. We found the Savior. We found the Messiah. Fifth, those who follow Jesus invite others to Jesus. If you're writing your Bible, go to the, the, the end of verse 46. Philip had gone to his brother Nathaniel and he said, We found the Savior. And Nathaniel, being quick-witted and a little bit sarcastic, which means I love him to death, said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So if you, if you, if you want to write in your Bible, underline those three words. Come and see. Christians, we don't have to study apologetics all the way through to a PhD so that we can answer everyone's questions so that they can meet Jesus. We just need to bring people to the feet of Jesus where he can save. We don't have to know how Jesus is the answer for every problem that everyone carries. We just need to bring people to the feet of Jesus so that Jesus can save them. So to follow Jesus is to recognize our need, who we are and who he is, to actually become a follower, 
to take up a posture of humility, to adore and worship, to proclaim the truth of others, and to invite others to Jesus. We see all this in this passage. And I'm here to submit to you today that every one of those six points is an appropriate response to the Savior of the world. And so church of God, I call upon you today. Will you commit to be a true follower of Jesus who will know of your need of him, actually follow him, humble yourself before him, adore and worship him, proclaim the truth of him to others and invite others to him because this is what he desires from us.